0: folks listen up i've got something crucial to share with you today in this uncertain world you need to be prepared for anything especially when it comes to your health that's where the wellness company comes in offering you peace of mind in a box with their medical emergency kit picture this you're faced with a medical emergency and you need quick effective treatment the wellness company's medical emergency kit is like having a strategic arsenal of life-saving medications right at your fingertips from proven treatments like ivermectin to generic z pax and amoxicillin this kit has got you covered But that's not all. Every kit comes with a medical emergency guidebook, ensuring you have the knowledge to use these medications safely and effectively. It's like having a medical professional right there with you when you need it most. And here's the kicker. Use code FFN to get 10% off your medical emergency kit at twc.health/ffn. That's right, folks. 10% off. Peace of mind in a box. Don't wait until it's too late. Get your medical emergency kit today and be ready for whatever comes your way. Stay safe. Stay prepared with a wellness company. Again, Use code FFN to get 10% off your medical emergency kit at twc.health/ffn.
1: For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, Preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silent, not praised. Unelected deep state operatives who defy the voters to push their own secret agendas are truly a threat to democracy. And ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet. Yeah.
0: Hey, guys. Welcome to this episode of The Jeff Dornick Show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Again, we've we've been going live pretty much every day, about 2 o'clock Pacific Time, 5 o'clock Eastern. Uh, You know, A bunch of great interviews, hearing my my thoughts on that as well. But make sure you guys are are going over to Freedom First TV. It's freedomfirst.tv. You guys can go check out. We post all of our show, all of our live stream shows. Over there, we've got uh, myself, Teddy Daniels, Candace Taylor, Dr. Mark Sherwood, uh, Karen Kingston, a bunch of great Show hosts, but make sure you guys go over there to freedomfirst.tv You guys can subscribe today to get access to all the on-demand content, but all of the live stream stuff is available to anybody and everybody. So make sure you guys check that out, freedomfirst.tv TV. Okay, without further ado, we are bringing on our guest, uh, a repeat guest. We've got Dr. Pierre Corey. Welcome back to the show. Glad we can sit down and talk again.
2: Hey, great to see you again, Jeff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Th- thank, thanks for coming back on. And, you know, I, th- I think for me, obviously. You know, we're we're I'm I don't necessarily think we're at the tail end of COVID, but it seems like a lot of the craziness has 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 died down to where there's not some new crazy thing you know popping up every single day. But but for for you at, going through this for the last couple of years, where you know obviously you've been through the ringer for talking about ivermectin and and you know how to treat COVID, and obviously mainstream media, politicians, nobody seems to like what you say, even though it's factually accurate. But what do you what do you what do you think about the current state of where we are right now uh, in re, in regards to COVID and the response and and kind of kind of what do you think is what do you think is currently going on when it when it comes to the status of COVID-19?
2: Yeah, well speaking just like of the disease itself i mean ba5 was definitely a little rougher than than ba1 but even that i think is kind of settling down so i mean the death rates are much lower the rates of hospitalization are lower i mean the cases are still raging right um so i think the disease itself has transformed but you know when we talk about the response and what's going on with the system. I mean, I, I really think of two things, Jeff. I, I think that the system has been exposed for what it what it is. How this health system and how healthcare is run in this country is is now apparent to many, many more citizens. It's, it's apparent to myself, a number of my colleagues, and I would say the average layperson um, now has a deeper knowledge and understanding of of, of the influences that guide the you know, the system and in producing these responses. Right. And we can talk specifically about how almost every single one has failed um, and how almost every single one has been divorced from the science. So so one thing is the exposure. The other thing that has happened, and this is the most troubling, is prior to COVID, I was never told to not use a certain medicine. I was allowed to speak my opinions freely. I was, I had full autonomy in how I approached a patient. You know, I could adopt new therapies even without like, you know, a huge evidence basis. I could use risk benefit judgments and just try to figure out how best to do for my patient. But what's happened in COVID is this top down rigidity and adherence to like what's approved and the approvals are coming from the federal agencies, which we know are now completely captured by the pharmaceutical industry. And so so that kind of autonomy and freedom to do what's best for your patient is now we're we're restricted. And so so you see doctors and they're following these protocols that they don't veer from even when they're failing. Right. I mean, I have had so many patients reach out to myself and my partner throughout the pandemic because they are in not patients, family members. They're in distress because their, their family members are deteriorating. They are getting worse and the doctors don't change what they're doing. And and the last thing I'll say, Jeff, is that I used to teach medicine. I I, I won awards at multiple major academic medical centers because I really love to teach. And one of the things that I would, one of the two principles that would guide my approach, especially in the ICU, right, because you're dealing with patients who really are at risk of death, but I would tell my students and trainees that, you know, you know, I would say don't fix what ain't broke. If the patient is responding, they're on a positive trajectory, keep doing what you're doing and don't stray from it. But if the patients are failing or deteriorating, you gotta change what you're doing. You gotta think about what are you missing? Is there a diagnosis that you need to search for? Is there a new therapy that's gonna counteract whatever that mechanism is that you're missing? And and to hear of like a nation of doctors who are just sticking to this anemic dose of steroids, remdesivir and ventilators and not using any of the dozens of compounds that we know are super safe. And let's say they're not fully proven. There's enough evidence to say just on a good risk benefit, like especially in the dying. I mean, the risk benefit ratio has changed there on a safe medicine. And so. I, I'm really saddened to see that rigidity and control and, and really the deference. Right, Jeff. So what, what you're also seeing is not only are you seeing these top down edicts, these policies which are actually fueled by financial incentives. Right. So so that's the other th- thing right? you see t- to give remdesivir, which is an ineffective drug and it's been given all over this nation. You're do- they're doing it because there's a financial incentive to do it. They get 20% bonuses on the hospital bill. And so I, I just, um, I, I don't recognize medicine anymore. I think it's been totally co-opted. And and I think it's, it's really terrifying for patients in the future. Um, that's not the kind of doctor you need, who's just following orders. You need a doctor who's fleet of foot, thinking on their feet, open to trying different strategies and figuring out how best to help you just however they can.
0: Yeah, well, it, it, it's crazy because it, it, it's, you know, as I talk to more and more people and in my, in myself and my family as well, it's like we're, we're becoming less and less trusting of doctors, it seems like. Like it used to be being a doctor, that was the one profession that was probably the most trusted profession in our country where, you know, people would go to the doctor, the doctor would say, hey, you have this sickness or this disease or whatever it is, here's how you treat it, you do it, you follow the instructions, and it typically is effective. And it seems like now, you know, after COVID, it seems like our trust level of the medical profession is at an all-time low, where it's like, we're second-guessing, is our doctor, is he getting kickbacks? Is he telling me the right thing to do? Is he he listening to CNN? Like, it's, it's a very strange... Position now where you go, where you're going from the medical profession being the most trusted to now we're second guessing everything that we're hearing. I see that in so wherever
2: I go to speak, when I go to these conferences or symposium, and people come up to me after I speak and they say that exactly that, Jeff. They're like, "Where can I go?" I don't want to go to the hospital. They tell me about their experiences recently with their doctors, where they'll tell the doctor, I just had COVID, and the doctor's like, get vaccinated. I mean, and and so what you're describing, though, is is the reason why that trust is lost, and even now there's fear. There's actually fear of having to need a doctor or go to a hospital because they've lost the faith that the policies and practices and treatments are based on sound and rational, pragmatic approach, right? So, So the critical thinkers know that... The other two things have been revealed by doctors is the really common absence of not only critical thinking or skepticism, but really reading the literature critically. and, 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 And so you see doctors practicing really misguided notions. So the doctors have all been... Convinced that natural immunity is something to ignore, so they've ignored natural immunity. Literally, vaccinating people right after they've had COVID, and they're using a vaccine. It's they're using a vaccine. It's like giving let two years ago flu shot for this year's flu, right? Which has never worked in respiratory viruses. And so, so it, it's it's actually quite scary. So, so you see the average doctor who has absolutely no knowledge that they're giving a two year old vaccine to a virus that has mutated several times. Um, the one thing that I'll forgive them for Jeff is. They have been propagandized to death, you know, that control over medicine did not happen without control over the media and the journals. And, and th- those are the big lessons that I've learned is that not only did I see that the agencies were captured, which that's been described for decades, but the, the extent to which they're controlled by pharma has been shocking. But the high impact journals The high impact medical journals which are the only journals that drive headlines you can find really interesting data and science that contradict prevailing policies but they're generally in second and third tier journals that don't drive headlines and so when you see what gets into high impact journals which is what, ha- what, it- what shows up in high-impact journals is what they allow. And when I say that pharma allows to show up. So if it's data that's inconvenient to their interest, so data which actually questions the efficacy or safety of vaccines, that will not show up in a high-impact journal. If it's data showing how effective ivermectin is, it will not show up in a high-impact journal because repurposed drugs are their enemy. And so, so what you're left with is you have physicians who unfortunately and unknowingly are now practicing medicine that's being dictated by pharmaceutical companies, and and that's that's that lack of trust is that people don't want to go to a representative of a pharmaceutical company. We know how pharmaceutical companies behave; they don't care about your health. They want the you know they want to sell their pills and get their profits. And so, I don't want to be treated by a representative. And but that's in fact what the doctors have become now. They're they're literally. And, and by the way, I should say this, Jeff. There's been a lot of, of people who've been saying this for decades. And I, I got to say, you know, the modern medicine, which is a pill for every problem, I mean, that's really prevalent. And, and the vaccines are not the, they're only the latest fraud. I mean, uh, molnupiravir is another fraud, remdesivir is another fraud. But as you go back, statins are a fraud, SSRIs are a fraud. I mean, the extent to which, you know, doctors have been pushing pills for problems and, they're pricey pills and they don't work. And oftentimes they actually are worse uh, than not giving the pill. And so it, it, the scope and scale is almost indescribable. And 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 like I was, you know, you and I were talking before, and I knew this a little bit before COVID, you know, I, I, I'd i read different things of different things that had happened in the past. And, you know, pharmaceutical companies pulling, you know, uh, you know, bearing adverse data. I, I knew of the billions that they'd paid in criminal fines, but, I didn't know the the scope and the scale, the extent to which they literally dictate what happens in in medicine.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it's it's crazy too. Like for me, and this is taking it, taking it from a slightly political approach, which which is where I, I focus a lot of my attention. But it's been interesting how in the political world, it was big pharma's bad. You know, if up until probably about twenty nineteen, up until COVID nineteen, every single Democrat. Every, the majority of the Republicans as well. It was big pharma is bad. They're trying to gouge people. We've got to deal with pricing. They're selfish. They're greedy. They you know, they, they are the villains. And then all of a sudden COVID-19 comes and that flips. And now big pharma is the savior of the world. They're going to save everybody. Trust big pharma, even though just the previous year it was don't trust big pharma because they're trying to screw you. It's a really fascinating shift of mindset that everybody, it seems like, has bought into.
2: It's that's so true, and you know I'm a former uh, lefty liberal, you know New York City liberal, I'll call myself, but um, that's no longer number one. But let's talk about that in particular on the left. So, what I saw, all of my liberal friends, all of the you know New York City is full of liberals. I mean, what you what you just said is so exactly right. Like literally, what are we listening to CEOs of pharmaceutical companies now? And and but that's also because of the media. I mean, you know, a CEO of a pharmaceutical company give some advice like, oh, we have a new vaccine, this will help. And literally, it's plastered over headline. And so like, literally, we're getting our advice from CEOs of pharmaceutical companies. And, and that's okay. I mean, the left, we traditionally hated big pharma and corporatism. We, we always felt it was important to question authority and reject totalitarianism, right? And yet now we just defer to these health agencies officials whether they be local state hospital or federal and and we've literally given up our freedoms um you know to this fear monger i I think that that like shift towards like this openness to listening to pharmaceutical companies i think that was fear generated i i think people just really really scared they're looking for answers and pharma was very happy to fill that role and 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 people believe them without questioning and 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 that's actually what what's led to what we are now jeff because you understand we are in a humanitarian catastrophe with these vaccines um yeah. I, I mean the, the excess mortality associated with these vaccines it's showing up everywhere it's in life insurance data disability data and it's not just this country it's showing up in indians in india's life insurance data germany's um i mean and it's young people it's 18 to 64 year olds and so so you know, my wish is that the history books, and hopefully not the ones that are written 10 years in the future, uh, that, that this, ha- this comes out, this behavior, this suddenly shifting authority to captured health agencies and, and just swallowing whatever pharmaceutical companies were putting out whole without question, th- those are the proximate causes to the catastrophe that we're in now. And, and, and that truth has to come out. And hopefully we'll change our behaviors like i keep waiting for them to wait like the left to wake up and figure this out and but they you know the truth is being suppressed and so you know people who live on a steady diet of major media and or high impact journals will be led to believe things that are simply not true and and uh, I, I I don't know how to fix that. Well, you know what? I come on your show. We talk. I I, I try to show up wherever I'm asked because mm-hmm. I feel like a moral and ethical responsibility uh, to to really speak the truth. Because I, I every day that I I live now, I see lies. I'm just surrounded by unending lies that are that are actually threatening people's lives. And and as a physician in society, I feel I feel morally responsible to speak the truth that I know.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and, and you know, obviously, you, you, you know, you're talking about the, the increased, uh, you know, mortality rates, uh, you know, the, the increased number of deaths that are happening, but, but also too, you know, and you and I were talking a little bit before we came on live about the fact that we're seeing people before our eyes. Have these adverse reactions to the vaccines? We're like I I can tell you on a personal level I I know more people that have gone to emergency room and ICU from adverse reactions to the vaccines than from COVID nineteen you know and and you know it's it's probably about a dozen compared to. One basically, but what's but what's interesting is that every single time the doctors refuse to even entertain the idea that it could possibly have anything to do with the vaccine. In fact, I, you know my my cousin actually had some serious adverse reactions, neurological issues, all that kind of stuff, and they kept trying to pin it on COVID, even though he never had COVID, but he had just had the vaccine the week before. And it and it's fascinating how people are buying this, like they're literally having the adverse reactions to themselves, the things that we're all talking about. And they still don't believe that it could have possibly been the vaccine. What do you attribute yeah, yeah. that to?
2: Yeah. Now, now you're now you're touching on you know what uh, uh, Robert Malone talks about a lot, Matthias Desmond, you know, which is that mass formation psychosis. I mean, the, the unending propaganda and censorship, right? That, that's that's what's really marked this pandemic for me. Is 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 propaganda and censorship like we've never seen before. Well, I think probably other historians would disagree with me that we have seen this level before, um, but the way it's affected the doctors, the suppression of the toxicity of these vaccines and that that mantra, safe and effective, safe and effective. And then, and then what we just talked about, which is they've been pushing vaccines on the naturally immune, on their friends, on their families, on themselves, that i think the psychology of being able to admit
0: hey there freedom loving carnivores it's jeff dornick from freedom first network and i've got a message for you are you tired of feeling like your beef choices are under siege well fellow patriots it's time to fight back with prepper all naturals that's right folks in a world where the beef industry is under constant attack prepper all naturals is here to stand tall and proud as a veteran owned beacon of quality taste and freedom When the guys at Prepper All Natural set out to provide you with the finest beef products, they knew they had a duty to defend America's beef legacy, and that's why we're proud to partner with them, bringing you the best of what this great land has to offer. Whether it's their succulent freeze-dried beef cubes or their premium freezer boxes packed with steaks and roasts, we're redefining what it means to enjoy beef today and tomorrow. And let me tell you folks, their freeze-dried beef isn't just delicious, it's built to last. With proper stores, their beef cubes can maintain their quality and freshness for up to a decade, ensuring you'll never have to compromise on taste or nutrition. But wait, there's more. They're not just in the business of selling beef. They're in the business of defending freedom. That's why they promise to never sell you anything less than 100% all-American natural beef. No lab-grown imposters, no experimental jabs, and certainly no compromises with the woke agenda. So, fellow beef enthusiasts, join us in our mission to protect America's beef legacy. Visit freedomfirstbeef.com and use code FFM for 15% off your order because when you choose Prepper All Naturals, you're not just eating well today, you're eating well tomorrow. And together, we'll ensure that beef remains a symbol of freedom for generations to come. Prepper All Naturals, where beef meets freedom.
3: It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain,
2: I got this wrong and all of these people who are injured, it's from the vaccine. I think for most humans, they're unable to recognize or admit that. And so they don't see it. And and to your point, Jeff, about like just in your personal circle, um, I, I think almost everyone in the country has someone in their circle who's been injured. That's how common they are. But I have a practice now. So I've, I've less I've left the medical system. I don't work for a hospital anymore. I don't run ICUs anymore. Um, I work for my nonprofit organization, I have a private practice now, Um, I don't accept insurance, but I'm totally devoted to learning about and treating the vaccine injured and the long haulers. Um, And those are two syndromes that have a lot of overlap with some differences. But it's essentially a spike protein induced disease. And the spike protein is toxic. And figuring out how to treat these patients is, is wickedly complex. My practice is evolving. I'm really intellectually stimulated by it. Like I'm, I'm, I really enjoy it, although it, it's it's a, it's really a challenge. But it, it's very satisfying because I'm able to help quite a few patients. And so, but you're right. It, it is so common and, and not being recognized. Oh, this was my point. Every visit I have, and I spend an, I spend a lot of time with my patients. But on my initial consultation, the first ten minutes is them describing their journey through the system as they've sought care and relief from their suffering, and. The things that they tell me that doctors have said to them are just, they're, they're just unimaginable. I mean, the doctors are showing such lack of empathy, dismissal of the idea that this vaccine is, a you know, these are totally healthy people who get the vaccine and within a week they have a ton of symptoms. It wasn't the vaccine. You know, they, the best ones will admit that they don't know what's wrong but they do know it wasn't the vaccine. And so like you're seeing that psychology or I guess psychosis or delusion. And and that's add that to the reasons why many people don't wanna go to the hospital. The doctors are so lost, but they've been led astray by propaganda and censorship. And so I'm trying to be sympathetic to them, you know? And, And then the other thing is like, how come I wasn't captured in that mass psychosis. And 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 I think it was just because I got lucky. I was in a unique position surrounded by really independent critical thinkers. Um, and really what saved me is I became deeply expert on ivermectin and its clinical efficacy. And once I did that, I was able to see the unending lies propaganda incentive. I have firsthand knowledge of the high impact journals rejecting really good positive studies on ivermectin. Flat-out rejections. They do not publish them. Um, And then I got to see the lies in the newspaper. I got to see Fauci telling lies. And so that kind of is what transformed me, is like suddenly I realized not only that there's shameless lying that literally is leading to the deaths of patients. I think hundreds of, I would say, conservatively, probably seven or 800,000 Americans died as the result of censorship around hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. The propaganda and censorship surrounding those two drugs. And, and you know, I because I was expert, I got to see the pattern. I got to see not only that they lie, that they have absolutely no limits to the lies, but how they propagate the lies. I got to see how it appears in editorials and medical journals, constant headlines, how, you know, and then that masterful PR campaign that they pulled off about the horse dewormer and how, how like, every talking head on television it was like i was living in a movie like a like a nightmare like i i don't turn on the tv much anymore but at that time people were sending me clips of late night talk show hosts, broadcasters never using the word ivermectin just saying horse dewormer And, and 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 so I got to escape because I got to see that this was false, and I and and by going on the outside and looking in and knowing how they do it, you're able to pick out the lies. And and that's the last thing I'll say on that. I was like, I'm um, I'm almost done with my book. It's called The War on Ivermectin. And what what's in that book? It's not only a personal narrative of what I've learned, but I'm really trying to detail and explain to people how these pharmaceutical companies uh execute disinformation campaigns because that's what they do and they've been doing this for decades it's disinformation campaigns with immense amounts of money and immense immense amounts of control of the media and so i think because i think it's important that citizens be armed be armed with the knowledge of how to detect lies and narratives and, and I think that's part of what you do, right, yeah. <laughs> is you try to reveal the truth to people because but most people will swallow what they're fed whole. you right. You know, they look at the newspaper, The New York Times, right, and paper of record. And The New York Times said this and that becomes truth. And and, and and that's how society has to change. We have to figure out how to fix our broken information dissemination systems because it's it, we're, we're being led astray.
0: No, we, 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 we really are. And, and, it, and it seems like it seems like there's no end in sight when it comes to that side of things, when it comes to the censorship, when it comes to the propaganda, when it comes to the disinformation, because, because it, you know, it's one of the, it's one of those things like I've been I've been permanent. I've been permanently suspended from from Twitter for talking with a black conservative about why the black community is hesitant to get vaccinated. And it goes back <sighs> to the Tuskegee experiments. We talk about Tuskegee, and all of a sudden, I get permanently banned for having that conversation with somebody, right? We've been kicked off of YouTube, all these different places. And and obviously, you know, there's other resources and other places, but then you get stuck into this algorithmic bubble. And this has been one of those things where I'm trying to figure out how do we get out of this, this tiny little bubble because maybe we've got 5 million, 10 million people, but we've got to reach the 350 million or the 8 billion people in the entire world. And it seems like a very tall order and very big task in order to overcome that censorship. And to a certain degree, I, I don't, I don't even know how to, how to, how to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, the problem is, right. So I talked about that lack of critical thinking and the appropriate amount of skepticism. Right. But what I found is that what I feel really bad for, for the average citizen is if you don't trust the New York times or CNN or ABC news, Well, then, and you go out into this, I don't know what we call the non-corporate legacy media sphere, you know, but like the independent podcasters or, you know, different, you know, individual independent news sites. um, You know, how do you know that they're credible, right? And so, like, you know, I think people are very uncomfortable. They're used to trusting what they think is a whole system of experts, journalists who are committed to telling the truth. and, And... and 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 so first you have to swallow that the system has been poisoned but then how do you find a fresh source and here's here's my thoughts so i this is is like pierre corey's guide to like assessing credibility (laughs) (laughs) no one has to listen to this but i think like when you want to learn about a topic you you want to listen to someone who as much as possible has no conflict of interest. And that would mean not employed by an institution, uh, a large institution where you know at this point, anyone working for a large institution, whether it's a newspaper, a hospital, a healthcare organization, um, or a television station, you know they, they cannot be open, honest, and freely objective, right? There are things that they can't say. So you want someone without conflict of interest you want someone and, and that would say i would say independent right so no ca- conflict of interest and independent so and, and that would go back to our point jeff about pharmaceutical ceos <laughs> which is the <laughs> least i mean that's why it's just laughable so that violates rule number 1 of, of, of you know my assessment of credibility so you want someone without a conflict of interest you want someone who's deeply expert you know you you want to have them a, a you know a demonstrated uh, knowledge of the topic at hand you want them to be transparent with what they're saying so when they say something they should be providing the underlying data on which they rest their conclusions and they should be willing to debate Um, the fifth criteria is not always necessary but i put it in there they should also be willing to sacrifice uh their position to bring out their truth and 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 because so many of us have lost stuff like, you know, that discussion and you getting shot off of YouTube. I mean, you took a risk, you know, in this environment, if you say anything adversely about the vaccines or highlight the hesitancy that it's out there, um, you're going to run the risk of and I'm sure in your case, uh, you know, losing a revenue stream. Yep. You know, I've lost three jobs. A lot of my colleagues, which I call ourselves the dissidents, we've all suffered on a personal level. Whether losing, uh, you know, some of our businesses, like uh, you know, uh, Dr. Malone's business is dried up. Uh, Dr. McCullough lost, you know, he had a very high position on Academic Medical Center. Uh, my friend and colleague and co-founder of our organization, Paul Merrick, his career is over, and and simply for talking truths on things that we were expert at. And so I don't know if you find that helpful, but you're right. We do need to. We have to figure out how to get good information, and and I think for a lot of people, they don't know how to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, well, and I I think also, you know, like one of the things that I always say to my audience is don't believe what I say. You know, just because I say something does not mean that it's factually accurate because I may have I may have blind spots. I may I may get too conspiratorial and think like, oh, you know, this is really what's going on when maybe I'm taking things too far. I understand like my own limitations, but I think to a certain degree and it's probably a, a from a financial business marketing aspect our society has has bought into this lie that you have to find somebody that's either all good in order to follow or all bad that you completely reject. And the yeah. thing is, is that nobody's nobody's all 100% accurate. Nobody's 100% all false. We're all somewhere in the middle. And so that's where it's like we have to pick and choose. And like you said earlier, use critical thinking. Take what somebody says. Go do your own research. But the problem is, is that a lot of people don't have time. A lot of people are lazy, and a lot of people, they just want to be told what to believe, so they, they pick their favorite person, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, this guy says this, so that's what that's what I'm going to do. I can't tell you how many of my family members are like, well, Jeff, you're wrong because Dr. Fauci says X, Y, and Z, and you think that you're smarter than Dr. Fauci. And I'm like, no, I'm just saying I just want you to look at the data, but they won't even look at it because Fauci said something completely opposite.
2: Yeah, that implicit faith in the experts. Um, if 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 you're at the head of a health agency, first of all, your, ex- your expertise is in question on clinical matters, and the other thing is, I mean, you don't rise to that level without being able to tell lies, right? And but going back to your point, I, I think that's really cool that that you say, you know, don't listen to what I say. Um, check for yourself, look at the underlying data. And that's sort of like I think that's a better way of saying what I said was like being open to debate, right? Open to correction, open to taking in new data, which may show that your opinion is not as well founded as you thought it was. Right. And and that's why we have conversations. But the one issue, uh, you know, to, to the other thing that you said, Jeff, is like, that do your own research. That's where I get scared. Not that people can't do their own research. It's where they're going to do it, because like I was telling that we've had in this conversation that the high impact journals are captured. And so when people want to look at data to show that I'm wrong, they can find plenty of data to show that I'm wrong. But that data has been corrupted. And so I'll give you a great example. Well, it's not a great example, but, you know, I was working very closely with a colleague early in the pandemic. And I was following the vaccine data, but not what was coming out of the journals. I, I mean, I was looking at different reports, health agencies, uh in different countries that were actually quite transparent with the granular data of what was really happening in the hospitals. And I was starting to get very concerned that not only were the vaccinated more frequently going into the hospital, but they were dying more. And and that which went against the prevailing narratives. And and in my group that i was working with my colleague was getting deeply concerned about my views that were developing on the vaccines and we started to sort of grow apart and i was marshalling all this data and i was showing them all these varied data sources which i put together to form my opinion and i still remember one of the last emails we exchanged and i sent him this and i said listen you know, you got to look at this, look at these death rates, look at these hospitalization rates, look at these, you know, vaccination rates, you know, when you compare different original data sources. And you know what he sent back to me? He sent back to me about eight published peer-reviewed medical journal articles, which contradicted everything I said. And and I knew at that point that I I didn't know how to bridge that. You know, I was trying to say to him that, like, of course, the journals say that. They can't not say that, meaning that they're safe and effective. And I was asking them to have the appropriate skepticism, but that was the tra- that's the other transformation that really happened to me and Paul is we used to listen to high impact journals. I actually thought that that was the best, the latest, and most objective research. And now I know that what's presented in high impact journals is extremely curated. And much of what is known that works or is safe or anything, it just doesn't show up in those journals. And so, so going back to that point, you're like you know, doing your own research is perilous because it depends where you go. You know, That's it's true. like you, you can't go to captured sources. You know, and 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 so it's just the challenge. We'll, well, well
0: see. It, it, so. it, it was interesting too for for me, and this this is what really you know had me do a lot of a lot of deep dives was the the fda approval letter of of the a community the, so the first the first vaccine that was fda approved uh you know they they were saying that it was 95 percent effective and 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 so like all my friends are like see look it's 95 percent effective jeff you don't know what you're talking about but then i'm like okay so i clicked on the link that's in the fda letter and i go and i look at the actual study that they cited which actually it shows depending on how you look at the data and then, yes. again this is it takes critical thinking it, if you look at the data if you're just comparing those that are infected from that hat, that were vaccinated versus those that were infected with COVID that were unvaccinated, they showed a 95% protection rate. But it was it was less than 200 people were infected out of 40,000 people. That means that everybody in the entire study, whether you were vaccinated or not vaccinated, had a more than 99% chance of not getting COVID-19. So we're yep. talking about, like, basically, I, th- I think I did the math live on the air a zero, an actual real number of 0.7 percent of protection. And that study that they cited was only for the first seven days after getting vaccinated. Gosh. And so so I'm so I'm looking at and I'm like this is what the FDA cited as showing 95 percent effective. And it, 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 it is difficult. You got to read a lot. You got to study. it, But you can get down to the numbers. But again, like you said, will people actually go to those links to figure that out?
2: Oh, you're just hitting like these really important points. So not only is it true, you have to look at the underlying source. You got to think critically and see what is it real? What is the data really saying? Not what the headlines are saying, but what is the real data show? And the other thing is then you actually have to be a little bit more expert because When you see those trials and conclusions, you actually have to look at the flow of patients through the trials. Who did they exclude? Who shows up in that didn't follow protocol category? How many did that? And so, and when you look at these trials and their conclusions, you realize that there is a raft of infections that occurred in the vaccinated group before they were deemed fully vaccinated. And so when you actually uh, total up, and this was so apparent in the toddler trials. So in the toddler trials, which they, unanimously approved to inject into three-year-olds, you see that there was a three-shot schedule. In each time period between enrollment and first shot, first, second, and second, third shot, the vaccinated got way more COVID than the unvaccinated. Then once you're done with third shot and then you waited whatever it is, seven or 14 days, you know what difference they showed? They showed there was four less infections in the vaccinated. But you'd have to ignore all of the dozens of infections that occurred before they were full. So you could see there was, an, there was a negative adverse effect on, on the vaccines. And yet, what do they say? That it was whatever, 57% protective. And it's like, no, it wasn't. And then the other thing is, if you really look at the flow of the patients, 4,500 kids were enrolled, 3,000 dropped out. What kind of trial is that? You would need to know why 3,000 kids were removed from that trial. And so, but you know what? Nobody does that. No one has the time, apparently, or the skill to really look critically as how, how did they come up with this conclusion? And then you also have to understand that pharmaceutical company sponsored trials have to be suspect. They're not transparent. They own and control the data. They present it as selectively as they want. And we know they bury adverse data. So I, I will tell you now I struggle because I don't think I can believe any pharmaceutical company sponsored trials anymore. I mean, there's a study. um that they did where they looked at decades of trials that were performed by pharmaceutical companies and compared them to the results done by independent investigators later, you know, so like, you know, academic medical centers, you know, purported, they have nothing. An and they found that 86% of pharmaceutical company sponsored trials were positive and only 50% of the independents were. And so, that's what we need to do, Jeff. We got to tell people be skeptical of pharmaceutical company claims, even if it shows up in the New England Journal of Medicine. I mean, they've been pulling that trick for decades. They know the power of these high-impact journals. We need to remove the power from these journals. We 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 need to stop looking at them as the arbiters of truth and, and science because they're not. They're, they unfortunately, it's been corrupted. Science has been deeply corrupted and has been for a while. It's just I'm just figuring out lately. Yeah. COVID is COVID, COVID was my classroom of learning all of the things that I now know and and based on what I know, I I don't know. It's, it's very hard. I'm like a strange or a, a recovering physician now. I, I, it's very it's very odd place to be intellectually.
0: Yeah, well, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, I have, I have a friend of mine that uh, that works for a pharmaceutical company that actually writes a lot of the medical papers and, you know, thing, things like that. And, and one of the things that, that they were telling me was that, you know, the way that the way that they're doing these studies is they start off with 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 the number that they want to hit. And then they work backwards in or, in order to get there. So with, with the with the COVID vaccine, they start off, they, they wanted to show that it was 95% effective because that's what they had been saying before those studies were even released. It's going to be 95% effective. So they start out with that, then they get the numbers, and then they figure out how can we manipulate the numbers in order to get to that 95% effective rate. And, and we see that happening when you look at studies and you look at some of the previous studies that a lot of these big pharma companies have come out with, it seems as if that is typically what they what they do. And, and the main reason it com- it does come back to financial because they're spending millions and millions, sometimes billions of dollars on research and development and and the whole deal. They're not they're not going to waste all that money for a failed for a failed test no. because they need to recoup their money.
2: And and yeah, and so that's that's a topic that I, I'm learning more and more about. And there's some really great books on the topic. But but what you just said, so the way that they can they they know how to produce a positive result. The other thing is Uh, We know well that they spend way more on marketing than research, although they do spend billions on research. But the other thing that I'm sort of interested in, because it's been my experience, is, is not only they can manipulate results to show benefits to their medicines, but they're really good at attacking repurposed drugs. And they've been doing that for decades. So vitamin D has been under attack by the pharmaceutical industry for decades. And if you actually look at the entire body of evidence around vitamin D, it's completely corrupted. So when you see meta-analyses or these summary reviews, which, show, oh, look, vitamin D doesn't work in this, those were all corrupted trials. I mean, the big trials on vitamin D, there's there's conflicts of interest in the investigators and the pharmaceutical companies. So they've done that vitamin D, they've done the other things on oncology, but I'm an expert at what they did to ivermectin. And so the, the, the final nail in the coffin of ivermectin, I, I think ivermectin adoption in this country has hit a plateau uh, just because I think they won that war of information. You know, while it was still ongoing, I think myself and my organization did a pretty good job at getting to a portion of, of the U.S. population, if not global population. But, you know, it was, the, it was called the TOGETHER trial. It was the largest trial on ivermectin. It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it purportedly showed that ivermectin didn't work. If you look at the, the the investigators who conducted that trial, they are some of the most deeply pharmaceutical company conflict investigators you can ever imagine. Each one of them actually depends for survival on contracts from pharmaceutical companies. And and if you know anything about generic or repurposed drugs, it is actually the Achilles heel of the entire industry. If repurposed generic drugs were shown to be effective in any disease model, it absolutely obliterates the market for profit. Right. And so I, a lot of us deeply studied that trial. There were so many shenanigans that they po- pulled to show a purportedly negative result. Well, actually it wasn't negative. It showed, still showed decent benefits. They just weren't statistically significant, right? And then what, it, and then when you saw what the data showed and what was in the headlines, I mean, the fix was in. And, and so, it, it, again, it's it's terrifying how they can manipulate science and the truth and lead us to believe things that aren't true. And, and it hurts people, right? So telling us the vaccines work and that they're safe is killing people. Telling people that ivermectin is a horse dewormer and doesn't work in COVID is killing people. And, and again, studying the, the criminal history of the pharmaceutical industry, you're talking about at, at this point, 16 billion in criminal uh, penalties uh, and just as much in civil penalties. And every time they have a toxic product, by the time it's revealed, many, many tens of thousands die while they're burying the data on adverse effects. They've done it with Vioxx and Bextra. And then let's not even talk about the opioid crisis, which is still ravaging our country. Right. So that's going back to the other point, Jeff, about we're listening to pharmaceutical companies while literally our young people are dying from drug addiction. at at rates that continue to increase every year, which was a pharma-fueled epidemic, and, and yet we're looking to them for guidance?
0: What's going on? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, but, but, but also too, like on top of that fact, like, you know, obviously like everything was streamlined, especially, especially with this, with this vaccine, it was brought to market faster than I, than I believe in any other vaccine. It did not go through the proper testing. It didn't even have the same kind of standard of, you know, that they, they need to show that it's safe. They just have to show that it might be safe. And, and that, that to me is a, is a whole other concern. Uh, you know, and so then looking at this, you're, we're looking at this entire corrupt system. Obviously it's like, it's like there's corruption and there's ties between big pharma, between the political system, between the mainstream media, yep. every there's, there's like collusion everywhere. And so then the question becomes, how do we fix this? How do we turn this thing around? Or is it so far gone that it's almost like we'd have to start over from scratch?
2: Yeah. So that's important, right? So. So when we've just talked a lot about the behavior of pharmaceutical companies, and then you have a pandemic where literally the traditional regulatory approaches and standards, they just open those gates. So pharma could barrel through. So all of the barriers, normal checks and balances, the safety, the safeguards were basically pushed aside. And we're giving we, we pushed aside safeguards to allow a criminal industry to operate unchecked. Right. And and one of the most dramatic examples of that is that decades of regulatory uh, approaches is that when you have a novel or newly introduced product, vaccine, medicine, any adverse event reported or any death reported, you're supposed to assume it was caused by that novel product until proven otherwise. And it was almost like they flipped a switch suddenly they unleash these vaccines, VAERS, right? The Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System starts to blow up like never blown up before. You see thousands of, of adverse events. By J- by, J- by January 21st, 2021, we had 183 reported deaths, which was far past any previous stopping point of any vaccine. And yet those of us who are looking at VAERS and we're like, "Uh oh, this doesn't look good. And then you look at the leaders in the agencies and the media and they just say, they just dismissed the utility of affairs and they just say there's been no proven deaths and so what they did is instead of assuming that it was uh, uh caused until proven otherwise they instead assumed that it was unrelated until proven as a cause and they weren't doing autopsies they weren't investigating and so so going to your question i f- i have a couple of ideas and i'm not an expert at this but. You have to restructure the agencies. You you can't have someone at the head of the agency with unchecked power who literally has been leading the biomedical industrial complex for 40 years, although he only runs a department in the NIH due to his long standing ties there and the massive budgets that his part of the agency has accrued, his power is literally exerted over all three agencies. So the CDC, NIH and FDA, Fauci essentially runs those things. You cannot concentrate power in one corrupt individual. So it has to be restructured in a way that you diffuse or have safeguards. apart. you need, I think you need uh, independent uh, uh, folks that are outside the political system that are in positions of power. You know, one of my one of my friends or colleagues, you know, said it needs to be structured more like the FCC with like, you know, committees that have um, that, you know, where there are certain members that are not under political influence and are independent and objective. Now, pharma can still get to places, but we we can't, we can't allow the power to be concentrated, you know, so, so, uh, you know, to be so concentrated in in, in how, in, in, in the authority. And so, I, I, there's a restructuring that needs to happen. Jeff. I, I mean we can't we can't have a structure where literally uh, farmers driving uh driving the agencies and all the policies.
0: Yeah, well 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 then I and I want to throw this at you because again, you know, you being a doctor and I'm just I'm I'm a lay person, so I'm looking at I'm looking at this from the, from the outside, right? But but it seems as if the uh you know, Fauci and the CDC and the FDA, it's 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 as if they were passing edicts that the entire country had to follow. And and we yep. saw different laws including in florida there was actually a law that was passed that that gave immunity to doctors as long as they followed the protocols of the cdc and the nih and the fda and, and all that kind of stuff and if they tried something else they would no longer have immunity so so essentially they were passing the laws that doctors had to follow it should that be the role of these agencies or they should they just be providing advice of what they think and what the studies that they're finding and then allow the doctors to take it or leave it or you know try a different thing how how should this structurally yeah.
2: be yeah so again going back to what it was like before before covid right so even if you had a disease model where the agencies or some of the physician societies they would put out what they called guidelines but every doctor knew that it was a general guideline, and what you did for the individual patient, the, the different variables, you had the ability to to, to deviate from guidelines. And in fact, you had to in medicine. There were certain times where the guideline was not appropriate for what was wrong with that patient. But now, you know that that what you just described by, the, by these laws being passed, like you know, to give doctors immunity and and literally cement the policies coming out of the federal agencies. That was already happening at the hospital level. The hospitals already formed committees, put out protocols, and and they took away medicines from the formulary. like ivermectin disappeared from the formularies of hospitals across the country. And and so that deference and the way that we fell in line, looking to this one source of advice and guidance, that has caused untold death. But here's the encouraging part. Just as you gave an example of a law which was passed to enforce those policies, if you look now, with the absence of four states, every state in the country has either active, pending or passed legislation to protect doctors who speak their minds or want to use repurposed drugs or even in Tennessee, they passed a law making um, ivermectin available over the counter. So at the state level, right, this decentralization, I think we can still have a control over how we operate, how we practice medicine. Um, but it really involves not listening to the feds who are captured. And so uh, that's been the most encouraging to me is I am seeing a resistance forming. There are legislators who are awake who do see the destruction uh, and, and danger of, of, of following a single source. Um, and so I, I do hope that movement continues. And and we we rest control out of those federal authorities and we we keep it more to the state level where, where we can protect ourselves.
0: Yeah. So, so, so then, you know, I'm, you know, look at, looking at obviously how much big pharma has lied to us about, about, uh, about COVID, about, about uh, the vaccines, about even the new treatments that they're coming out with that are the, that are the, in in their words, the healthier alternatives to ivermectin, which is, which is a ridiculous claim in and of themselves. But, but looking at that, you know, obviously for those of us that have kind of woken up to a lot of this, we, we see the lies, we see the corruption. So then the question then becomes, what do we do with the rest of the pharmaceutical industry? What do we do with the rest of the prescription drugs? When we go to a doctor and a doctor writes you a prescription for something, should we be questioning? Like, should I really be taking this? Or, like, what, what do we like? What do we do with this? What What is this done to the trust of even taking any other kind of prescription drug? It should tell
2: everyone to worry worry about those pills, and I'll tell you why. I mean, the adverse events events around SSRIs, um, the fact that it actually leads people to commit homicide as well as suicide, the dangers of that is indescribable. There are other frauds. So statins, unfortunately, are for this cholesterol hypothesis, which which, you know what's an interesting example is the, the way you ask that question, We describe what doctors are doing now with vaccines and therapeutics. They've been completely co-opted and influenced to doing things that actually are not the best for the patient. That process has happened around statins. So there's this great paper that I came across two months ago where they looked at all of the trials on statins and they removed all of them that were performed by pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> they only looked at independent investigators. And what they found is all of these benefits and even how these things work is completely divorced from what the guidelines say, the societies and the experts. You know how many people are on statins that shouldn't be? It, it So going to your question, I think, I think our theme is the same. I mean, question do your own research critically think the problem is the research has been so buried and suppressed that it's really hard to find the truth but i i don't know the answer that's that's a really difficult you're talking about information systems that have been uh, educational information systems that have been controlled and corrupted for decades how do you
0: unroll that how do you unpack that i i, I don't know I, yeah. I, I, it's we have a tall task ahead well, and, and and that and that's the difficult part about all of this it is like is it's one of those things where obviously we're we're causing people to question. The, what they're being told, the, you know, we're being, we're telling them like, look, you're being propagandized to you're being gaslit, you're, bra- you're being brainwashed. But then it, it's hard because there's not always an easy solution to the easy thing of just trusting Fauci, trusting Pfizer, trusting your, you know, politician that you voted for or whatever it is. You know, we're basically telling everybody don't trust anybody and then do your own research, but you can't even trust your own research because you don't even know what you're looking at. It's, it's a very strange conundrum. I think the way you just articulated that it's 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 unfortunate, you know.
2: I, and I want I would love to know a path. I mean, the, the simplest stuff is just try to stay healthy, <laughs> you know, take things that are safe and. and but you know, we're all going to get sick at some point, right? And so, uh, I, 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 yeah, what you just described is is it's, we're in a really tough spot. But you know what? You got to start somewhere, and if this this kind of thing that we just talked about in this conversation, if we have broader awareness about that, and that awareness spreads, and the skepticism of, of how medicine is being practiced and what doctors are being told and taught grows, I'm hoping that we can build a parallel system where you get you know unbiased advice with critical thinkers, and I, I do hope that something's going to grow in this place to solve this because it does need to be solved. It, it's a terrible situation to be in, and and um, I, I don't know. I hope, I just hope things get better going forward, but we, you know, let's learn from our lessons and, and, and hope, I, I can't believe we had to learn this lesson about not listening to pharma, but apparently we forgot that lesson. Yeah, then. So,
0: yeah, yeah uh, exactly. <laughs> now, now, now talk, talk about your book, you know, the war on yeah. Uh I I know you, you talked, you talked about it briefly and kind of touched on it a little bit, but, but explain to everybody like, you know, what was your motivation and really what, what's the main point that you're trying to drive home with that?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, an alternate title for my book is Ivermectin, the crime of the century. And, and the, the reason why I, I want to write a book is that, you know, I've lived through now a year and a half of knowing the solution to the pandemic, which is it's one of the most widely available, safest, inexpensive medicines, which incredible efficacy against COVID. Um, it's known in many parts of the world how effective it is. And about a quarter of the globe lives in a country where it's in very common use. Yet in the advanced health economies like the US, you know, it was destroyed. It was destroyed in the media and the journals and, and many, many people died. And sort of going back to what we discussed before, I just feel like in order to go forward, we need to learn how to pick out these lies. And 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 so I'll tell you what, what kind of really inspired the book is it was March of twenty twenty one, a few months after my you know, testimony in the Senate went viral. And I got an email from someone I didn't know. It was a professor. His name was Professor William Grant from Australia. And he was a decades long researcher into vitamin D. And he wrote like a two liner to me. He said, he said, Dr. Corey, what, what they're doing to Ivermectin is the same thing they've been doing to vitamin D for decades. And he included a link to an article, which was called the, um, the disinformation playbook. And it's a short article and you can Google it. It's on the website of uh, the union for concerned scientists. And I read it and I was transformed. They, they just spoke about five tactics that Pharma uses to uh, practice disinformation. And once I saw it in that conceptual structure, suddenly the, the world made sense to me. It wasn't it wasn't the happy world that I was discovering, but it made sense because the things that happened to me after my testimony, nothing made sense. Everything was going the wrong way. Like I thought myself and my group and our paper I thought we were literally coming forth with identifying a solution to the pandemic, and that's not what happened. And what happened next, and the disinformation campaign, and the censorship, and the propaganda, and the personal attacks, and everything that they did, I had a front row seat to. So, like, I got to witness every day of my life since that testimony. I got to witness unending disinformation around ivermectin and. And, you know, it's not only that that experience and what I've learned, but, you know, I've I've been involved in a lot of stuff in, in this pandemic. You know, like you talked about before, you know, going into rabbit holes. I mean, I, I testified in May of 2020 that corticosteroids were life-saving and critical for use in the hospital, and I was attacked by that. Luckily, a trial came and invalidated me, and now it's standard of care. I was also one of the first to try to publicly come forth with the fact that this was predominantly an aerosol transmitted disease. Do you know that the CDC and the WHO, it took them 15 months to declare that it was aerosol transmitted? And we knew this in, in April of 2020. And I wrote I wrote an op-ed, it was published, uh, it was first accepted by the New York Times, but then the, the editors got fired after that Tom Cotton editorial. But then I, I published it in USA Today. But, and, and I mean... And then our organization, what we've done with our protocols and the impacts we've had around the world. I mean, it's been a pretty wild ride. And, and so some of that is some of my you know, personal narratives. And I'll give you another fun fact, which is it, it's just been bizarre. Like my life's been turned into like a movie. It's, But in the middle of all of this, I got a call in June of 2020 um, by a law firm. And I got hired to be the expert witness in the George Floyd case. And so it was my expert testimony that actually... Uh, won the family a twenty seven million dollar judgment. I worked really hard on that. So in the midst of all this craziness, I was involved in 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 that George uh, unfortunate uh, George Floyd case, and it was it's just been it's been a wild ride. So I think some of it's interest because uh, it's been interesting, and but but mostly it's educational. I really want people to understand um, that disinformation has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans and how it's done and how to recognize it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and then you then you also have a substack that people should uh, go, go check out as well. Uh, what, what's the URL for that one?
2: Uh, PierreCory.substack.com. Um, yeah. Pierre, it's, and my last name is K-O-R-Y. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of what I've talked about, you know, I, I, I go into a little bit more deeply in that substack, and uh, people seem to like it. But um, and that's going to form a good part of the book.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'll post that the the link in the show notes that we get to so just click on that and go right over there. Uh, but Dr. Corey, I really appreciate you coming on. It's an honor to talk to you again. I, and the, I feel like these are these are more of the conversations that I feel like we need to be having um, about about like, what are the lessons that we learned over the, over the last couple of years of the of this craziness of COVID-19. So I really appreciate you coming on.
2: Yeah, I, I really enjoy this conversation, Jeff, you're absolutely right. It's 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 been just a great topic. And um... Yeah, you, you chose the right guy because I didn't know all this before. <laughs> I did a lot of learning last two years, so I'm happy to share it. Anyway, yeah, um,
0: thanks. Definitely. Thank you. And then everybody else as well, you guys can click on the link, go right over to his Substack and check that out. And then also for this show, you guys can go over to jeffdornick.com. Check that out. Do not forget to go to freedomfirst.tv. You can check out uh, this show. I've got a new show with Karen Kingston. We've got Teddy Daniels, Candace Taylor, Dr. Mark Sherwood. We've got a bunch of great shows over there as well. So check that out freedomfirst.tv. If you guys want to become a subscriber and get the full library of content, just go to freedomfirst.tv slash subscribe. Use code Jeff at checkoff for 25% off. You guys will get access to the entire library of shows. So check that out. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. We shall catch you guys next time.